As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. My mouth is really sore. Oh no, poor Kay. Yeah, well, I, I ate two bowls of Captain Crunch and I cut the roof of my mouth up. Oh, sure. They should put some kind of warning label on any Captain Crunch product that it could cause mouth injury. I would agree. And to compound this, um, I burned my mouth on pizza two nights ago, and it hadn't quite healed yet. So I was just going to say, I have a mouth injury because I dipped into my street corn too quickly, and that burned the top of my mouth. And so we're mouth burn buddies. Right. We're mouth burn buddies. And you can be a, one of our mouth burn buddies, too. We'll give you a second to go get something hot or sharp to chew on. There's a jingle. You can be a mouth burn buddy, like that. <laughs> okay, I'm not sure what just happened. <laughs> you can be a mouth burn, a burn mouth. What, what, do, what do we call a mouth it? Mouth burn buddy. Mouth burn buddy. Yeah. You can be a mouth burn buddy, too. Now, there's too many syllables. It's not catchy enough. I think what my brain was trying to do is make it into you can be a mouth buddy too, but that sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah. Let's just let's just move along. Um okay, I go first. Here we go. Okay. Here's my story for you this episode. Quote, as for all men who shall enter this my tomb impure, there will be judgment an end shall be made for him. I shall seize his neck like a bird. I shall cast the fear of myself into him. That's written on the wall of the tomb of Kantaika Aikiekai. He was a guy in the 9th and 10th dynasty. And people like messed his tomb up. And he apparently didn't like that idea. Oh, so it was like he's like cursing anyone yeah. who, who fucks with his tomb. Yeah, don't fuck with my tomb. Cool. Which also would make a neat jingle. Now, is this one of those tombs where you have to choose the right cup or pick it up at the sure. same time as putting Sh down sure. a bag of sand yeah. or something like that? It's funny you mention that. Um, the whole Tomb Raider idea came from that inscription. Oh, really? 
Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Tomb curses. We're talking about curses of tombs. Tomb curses. That's right. <laughs> I guess the ninth to 10th dynasty was a pretty popular period for tomb curses. Sure. Yeah. It's really fallen out of favor. And I rue that that's the case. The tomb of Ankatifi, he was also 9th or 10th dynasty, contains the warning, quote, any ruler who shall do evil or wickedness to this coffin, may Haman, which is a local deity, not accept any goods he offers, and may his hair, and may his heir, <laughs> I thought for a moment he was cursing his hair, no, may his heir. That really hit home with you, didn't it? It did, it caused me to pause for a moment. Um, may his heir not inherit. Oh, my goodness. Them some some harsh words. Well, I don't know. You know, that one's not really a too bad a curse. That one was kind of like, yeah, you know, if you you break into my tomb, then I'm not going to accept any of your gifts. And and maybe, you know, your your heirs won't won't do so well well with their investment opportunities. Aren't the gifts to the gods like ways that you can get into the... The afterlife, like, isn't that a, a way that you can, like, wouldn't that have greater consequences than just not being able to give presents? Sure. No, isn't it, that the idea? Yeah, absolutely. But it's nothing like scarabs crawling out of your skin, though, like in the movie The, the Mummy. That's right. a much worse curse. A fantastic Brendan Fraser film. There were so many, though, really. No, there was really just that one. and The uh, one where he had lived underground for a while. Blast from the past, yeah. That was a good one. That was a good one. I also liked him in... Encino Man? Yes. That was an excellent Pauly Shore vehicle, I thought. Brandon Frazier was just along for the ride. I went through a real Pauly Shore phase. I was into son-in-law hard. <laughs> one, of the, one of the milestones in cinematic history. <laughs> yeah. Pauly Shore in son-in-law. <laughs> Hieroglyphics were not deciphered until the early 19th century. So the history of curses, as far as what we recognized as curses, only goes back, you know, 100 years or so. Well, I mean, our understanding of them, but yes. Yes. In 1699, Louis Pencher wrote an account in which he recorded how uh, a Polish traveler bought two mummies in Alexandria and embarked on a sea journey with mummies in his cargo hold. (laughs) Which sounds like a euphemism. It really does. Ah, <laughs> oh, shit. I got mummies in my cargo hold. I gotta go. <laughs> the traveler was alarmed by recurring visions of two specters, and the stormy seas, quote, did not abate until the mummies were thrown overboard. Oh, my gosh. So there were stories before the deciphering of hieroglyphs. You mean the... People who were stealing from graves thought maybe we're getting some bad luck from this mm-hmm. grave stealing? Yep, that's huh. it. Yep. Uh, huh. Egyptologist Zahi Hawass recalled that a young archaeologist who was excavating a site, he was asked to uh, transport a number of artifacts. This was from a, a, a Greco-Roman site. Okay. His cousin died on that day, and his first uncle died on his on the first anniversary. On the third anniversary, his aunt died. Years later, when he excavated the tombs of the builders of the pyramids at Giza, he encountered the curse, all people who enter this tomb will make evil against this tomb and destroy it. May the crocodile be against them in water and snakes against them on the land. May the hippopotamus be against them in the water and the scorpion against them on the land. 
he wasn't a superstitious guy, but he decided not to, you know, he, he was just going to leave the mummies alone. Sure, sure, sure. However, later, uh, he was involved in the removal of two child mummies to a museum and uh, reported he was haunted by the children in his dreams. And that didn't stop until the mummy of the father was reunited with the children in the museum. That's just his conscience saying, hey, this was not cool. That's one way to look at it. I wonder if child mummy curses are different. Like, may you step on a thousand Legos. <laughs> may you never find my footwear. <laughs> may there be SpaghettiOs on your new carpet. May everything in your home be sticky forevermore. But the idea of mummies coming back from the dead, which is, you know, an important part of mummy curse tales, um, that was developed in The Mummy or A Tale of the 22nd Century, an early work Combining Science Fiction and Horror by Jane C. Loudon. It was published in 1827, so it goes back quite a ways. But the most common or the most well-known curse is the curse of Tutankhamun's tomb. King Tut. King Tut. He wasn't having none of it. Now, the idea of a curse attached to a tomb uh, came to people's attention due to the deaths of several members of Howard Carter's team and other prominent visitors to the tomb shortly after the tomb was opened in 1922, I think it was. The famous uh, Egyptologist Henry James Breasted worked with Carter shortly after the tomb was opened. He reported how Carter sent a messenger on an errand to Carter's house. On approaching the home, the messenger thought he heard a faint, almost human cry. And when he got to the house, Carter's canary that was in a cage mm -hmm. uh, wasn't there anymore. It was, what was in the cage was a cobra. A cobra had gotten in and eaten the canary and was oh. inside the cage. Now, a cobra in a bird cage is a symbol of Egyptian monarchy. Carter's canary died in the mouth of a cobra, and that, of course, fueled the rumors that, okay, yeah, the pharaoh's pissed, mm -hmm. you opened his home, he's going to come in and eat your bird. Got it. Still, that bird didn't do anything to him. I mean, I think that's kind of, you know. The first of the mysterious deaths was that of Lord Carnarvon. He was the financial backer for, the, for Carter's expedition. Now, he had been bitten by a mosquito, and then he was shaving and he accidentally uh, cut open the, the mosquito bite. Mm -hmm. It became infected. Carnarvon died because of blood poisoning. Wow. Two weeks before he died, an imaginative letter that was published in the New York World magazine in which uh, Marie Corelli quoted uh, an obscure book that confidently asserted that dire punishment would follow any intrusion into a sealed tomb. So... This was two weeks right before Carnarvon died. So people looked at that as kind of like a, ooh, that's weird. Sure, plus it was very top of mind. And sure, so, yeah. yeah. But the Earl of Carnarvon was not the only person who uh, died mysteriously. People that were connected with the disturbance of King Tut's tomb. Here is a list okay. of things that happened that people often attribute to the curse of King, uh, King Tut's tomb. Now, again, it was opened in November of 1922. George Herbert, the fifth Earl of Carnarvon, financial backer of the excavation, was present at the tomb's opening. He died April 5th, 1923, from that mosquito bite that became infected uh, once he, he shaved. 
He died four months, seven days after the tomb was opened. George J. Gould I, a visitor to the tomb, died in the French Riviera, May 16th of 1923, after he developed a fever following his visit to the tomb. Okay. Prince Ali Kamel Fami Bey of Egypt died July of that year, shot dead by his wife, Marguerite Elbert. Colonel the Honorable Albert Herbert M.P., Carnarvon's half-brother became nearly blind and died in September of 1923 from blood poisoning related to a dental procedure intended to restore his eyesight, which is weird. That is weird. So both of the Carnarvons died of blood poisoning for completely different reasons right. within months of each other. Sir Archibald Douglas Reed, a radiologist who x-rayed King Tut's mummy, died... January 15th, 1924, from a mysterious illness. They never diagnosed what it was. But he was working with x-rays a lot. <laughs> and it was 1924. Mm -hmm. um, Sir Lee Stack, governor general of Sudan, died November 19th, 1924, assassinated while driving through Cairo. A.C. Mace, a member of Carter's excavation team, died in 1928 from arsenic poisoning. The Honorable Mervyn Herbert, Carnarvon's half-brother and uh, the aforementioned Aubrey Herbert's full brother died on May 26th uh, of, of 1929, reportedly from malarial pneumonia. Captain the Honorable Richard Bethel, Carter's personal secretary, died on November 15th of the same year in bed in a Mayfair club, the uh, victim of suspected smothering. Richard Luttrell Pilkington Bethel, 3rd Baron of Westbury, died on the 20th of February, 1930. He threw himself off the, seven, off the top of a 7th floor apartment building. And Howard Carter, who opened the tomb, died March 2nd, 1939. That was, you know, years after he opened it, but some people like to still attribute it to, uh, mm -hmm. you know, to the curse. So how many people were actually involved in the opening of the tomb? And what do they mean exactly by involved? Because if there were, you know, 6,000 people involved, then the death of 12 really isn't that... <laughs> Over, remarkable over the period of several years yeah right. no i i know what you're saying i i have no idea um <laughs> how many people total were involved in you know excavating and removing the uh the goods from the tomb mm -hmm. but these were some of the most prominent people the okay. people who were paying for it the people who actually did the uh the disturbing they were the ones in the tomb first and that the people who would have profited from yes. the thing you know yep. and so they were assassinated and smothered and sure shot by their wives yeah uh-huh in 1925, the anthropologist Henry Field, accompanied by James Henry Breasted, visited the tomb, Tutankhamun's tomb, and recalled the kindness and friendliness of Carter. He also reported how a paperweight given to Carter's friend, Sir Bruce Ingram, that was made out of a mummified hand oh. with its wrist adorned with a scarab bracelet marked with Cursed be he who moves my body. To him shall come fire, water, and pestilence. It seems like you're asking for it. Soon after getting the gift, Ingram's house burned down. And then when he built a new one, a flood came in and knocked that one down. It seems like a weird thing, though, because, you know, at a time where people were very superstitious. Yes. And, you know... Ladies having thoughts was something that you could have them committed for. Um, 
it's cool to carry around a hand that says, <laughs> don't take bits of my body away right. or you'll die. Cursed be he who moves my body or these important files that I'm holding down on the desk. Now, Carter himself was entirely skeptical of these kinds of uh, curses. Apparently. He did report in his diary, quote, a strange account on May 26th. He was working in the desert and all the years he'd, he'd worked in the desert, like a total of 35 years. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden he saw jackals coming out of the desert, the same type as Anubis, the uh, guardian of the dead. Yeah. That's the one with the little ears and stuff. Cute little ears. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he wrote in his diary, well, that's odd. <laughs> Unrelated, though. Of course, skeptics, uh, they point out that many who visited the tomb or helped to discover it lived long and healthy lives. Mm -hmm. A study did show that about 58 people who were present at the tomb and sarcophagus when it was open, only eight died uh, within a dozen years. And if you if you zoom out even further and include all of the people that, that were paid workers, and, sure. yeah, it, it probably is, is a significantly smaller percentage. When you talk about tomb curses, you're, you're always, the first thing that comes to your mind, of course, is Egyptian tomb curses. Sure. Well, I guess it happens when you raid any kind of tomb. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And if you disturb old tombs, this is going to happen to you. And the tomb raiders, of course, persist to this day, according to the Daily Beast. Recently, a team of archaeological explorers... And Headed by Angelina Jolie, obviously. No, but you're onto the right idea. Uh, some documentary film workers, along with these explorers, joined by, Arthur, by uh, author Douglas Preston, set off in pursuit of the City of the Monkey God. Okay. You know what this is? This is also called the White City. There's a really interesting documentary about it. It's a long lost settlement buried deep in the Honduran side of uh, the Muscadia rainforest. Yeah. It's on the border between Honduras and Nicaragua. It's in the middle of 20,000 square miles of rainforest inhabited by poisonous snakes and all kinds of unfriendly things. So they set off into this environment looking to rediscover the city that's been abandoned since the 16th century, fairly recently in the larger scope of things. They used modern technology, including laser imaging and 3D models, and that helped them locate the site along with satellite image images, otherwise would have been totally uh, concealed by the jungle. The foliage was so thick that it was impossible for them to uncover the foundations of the large pyramid once they found themselves at the right location. It was only when they ran across artifacts that they were sure that, that this was the city, that they had found the White City. One of the first artifacts they discovered was the snarling head of a jaguar buried in the ground and peeking out of the undergrowth. The Daily Beast goes on to say it was so remarkable that the Honduran president insisted on removing it from the ground himself. Well, that probably wasn't a good idea. Well, first Did of all, that launch them into Jumanji. Because yeah. that, <laughs> that's what I'm picturing. I know, it's what I'm picturing too. <laughs> Immediately, exactly. I'm yeah. like, Duanye, we need you. <laughs> the removal of the jaguar head was, uh, was very controversial, as you might uh, imagine. Some commentators thought that the item and the site were so sacred that uh, they should be left intact. And it seemed as though perhaps the monkey god agreed because. After they pulled the uh, jaguar head out and removed it, the entire team contracted a rare life-threatening disease, a flesh-eating disease called, 
Leash many asses. I'm sorry, many asses? Is that what you're saying? I can't. Lick many asses? That's going to get you sick, yes. That, that would be a curse. No, <laughs> leash, leash many asses. L-E-I-S-H-M-A-N-I-A-S-I-S. Leash maniasis. Anyway, a parasite spread by the sand fly. The parasite eats away at the uh, mucus in the mouth and nose, and it causes them to fall off. Sure. Yeah, about, about half the group actually contracted the parasite and underwent some rather uncomfortable treatment. Uh, the experience, as horrible as it is, did serve, however, as marketing material for uh, for Preston's book, City of the Monkey God, sure. which I have on my Kindle and haven't read yet, but I plan to. The story of the Western intruders suffering the revenge of the monkey god makes for excellent copy. <laughs> Preston and the monkey god were hot up for ass. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Leish many asses. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So Preston and the monkey god were hard up for ass. And now, that thing in the middle. Here's a bunch of stuff that people found washed up on beaches. <laughs> Number five. A life-size papier-mâché rhinoceros. Oh, that's that's just no explanation there. No, just... no. Okay. They don't know. Number four: a Barbie head and torso repurposed by a crab in the Bahamas. This is my home now. Wouldn't that be weird to see like a little Barbie doll head just kind of walking across the beach? Yeah. Number three: a mannequin head. Yeah, that would that would freak me out. Too. Worse than the Barbie with the crab's legs. You think so? Number two, Mary from Alberta, Canada said, In 1987, I found a gold ring with my name on it enameled in Hawaiian. I never questioned it. <laughs> it's the universe. And number one, this actually was listed in the Marine Lost and Found section. Found underwater camera, Paradise Island in the Bahamas. Last photo was a head on picture of a bull shark. <laughs> uh oh. The Box of Oddities. With Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parenting kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month 
free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away and my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money well i've got the podcast for you i'm sean piles and i host nerd wallets smart money podcast on our show we help listeners like you make the most of your finances i sit down with nerd wallets team of nerds personal finance experts in credit cards banking investing and more we answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, freaks, this holiday season, we've, we've teamed up with Himalaya to give back to our community. If you sign up for the Box of Oddities Premium on Himalaya Plus from now through December 6th, Himalaya will give all proceeds made during that time to a great cause called End the Backlog, a program aimed at resolving the mountain of untested rape kits that have been overlooked. And when you subscribe to the Premium channel, uh, leave us a voice note in our back channel community. And we may make a special holiday episode addressing any questions or comments that are left there. You might even hear your message on the episode. The best part is if you sign up now, you'll get your first month of premium with ad-free episodes, early access episodes, exclusive content, and a members-only jacket. No, just kidding. It's a members-only community. Absolutely free. I want a members-only jacket. I know. Download the Himalaya app, look up the box of oddities, enter the promo code GIVEBACK at checkout. If you want to contribute even more to end the backlog, you can check our episode notes for a list of other creators who are participating in this awesome campaign. Remember, all proceeds will go toward end the backlog. So hurry, let's all give a little back this Thanksgiving. <laughs> 
This is a test of the Box of Oddities emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. Had this been an actual Box of Oddities, I'd be talking a lot faster. A thing in the middle we did a little while ago was uh, weird stuff that people were caught shoplifting. Yeah. Sam writes, concerning that thing in the middle, I can almost guarantee that the 66 sticks of deodorant were stolen with the intent to sell. Same goes for the high-end vacuum cleaners. Those often end up in pawn shops. I'm a loss prevention officer, so that's something I deal with on a night-to-night basis. Laundry detergent is also a popular target. The strangest thing I've seen is a guy tried to steal a whole cash register in the middle of the day. That's when I first started my job years ago. Dipshit chickened out and left his wallet, which did have ID in it. (laughs) We turned it over to the local PD. He called later saying he must have dropped it while shopping. No word as to whether or not he went to the PD to pick it up. No, this was my cash register. I came in here with this. Then Teresa wrote, I had a friend who was hired by Walmart to try and steal stuff. Yes. He walked out of the store with a canoe on his head and no one stopped him. (laughs) (laughs) Well done, sir. (laughs) What a great job that would be. Oh, yeah. Just, okay, here's what we want you to do. We want you to try to steal stuff. I know you'd be excellent at it because you you would figure out all these elaborate ways in order to do it. You'd have like little uh, inventions and stuff, (laughs) things that would automatically hide things in your pants. (laughs) Thank you. I'm, I'm glad to know that you... Think that I hide things well in my pants. I don't know. Have you have you ever doubted that? <laughs> You're so supportive of me. I love you. What can I say? All right. What you got for me? What what you what what you what you got for me? What 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 what, what you got for me? Here we go. I could not speak. I became unconscious. I could not open my mouth. Because then I smelled something terrible. I heard my daughter snoring in a terrible way. It was very abnormal. When crossing to my daughter's bed, I collapsed and fell. My arms had some wounds. I didn't know how I got these wounds. I wanted to speak. My breath would not come out. My daughter was already dead. That is the account of Joseph Nequain, who woke up and recounted his experience to Plymouth University researchers Arnold H. Taylor about the August 1986 limnic eruption at Lake Nyos in Cameroon. I don't know what this is. Well, big thanks to Ashley, who uh, sent me a message. I should say sent us a message, but I intercepted it, Mm -hmm, and I stole mm -hmm. this story uh, before you had a chance to see it. Damn you. Yay, Ashley, we did it. Okay, so a limnic eruption, also known as a lake overturn, is a rare type of natural disaster in which dissolved carbon dioxide suddenly erupts from deep, that's not a word, from deep lake waters, forming a gas cloud. Oh, I've seen video of this. The water boils. It looks like it's boiling. Lake Nyos exploded, releasing 80 million cubic meters of carbon dioxide in just 20 seconds. Uh, due to the larger, why can't I talk? Why can't you talk? What's wrong with us? Oh, I, got, well, I have a Captain Crunch injury. What's your problem? Street oh. corn burn. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Due to the largely invisible nature of the underlying cause behind limnic eruptions, it is uh, tough to determine to what extent eruptions have happened in the past. In recent history, though, this phenomenon has been observed twice. 
The first recorded limnic eruption occurred in Cameroon at Lake Monan in 1984, causing asphyxiation and death of 37 people living nearby. Wow. The limnic eruption at Lake Nyos killed 1,746 people. Say that again. 1,746 people. What year was this? 1986. Wow. I don't remember that at all. Yeah, I was old enough to remember it, see. 3,500 livestock also killed. Uh, The eruption triggered the sudden release of hundreds of thousands of tons of carbon dioxide. The gas cloud initially will rise, and then because it's heavy, um, it will descend into nearby villages. That displaces all the air, and it suffocates the people living there. Wow. Uh, This happened within a 16-mile radius of the lake. Oh, my God. It is a possibility that other volcanic gases were also released along with the CO2. Some survivors reported smelling like gunpowder or rotten eggs, which Mm -hmm. indicates Mm -hmm. that sulfur dioxide and hydrogen sulfide were present uh, above their normal levels. So what happened? Okay. So, all right. So in this particular region, a pocket of magma lies beneath the lake and it leaks carbon dioxide into the water, changing it into carbonic acid. So Nios is one of only three known exploding lakes to be saturated with carbon dioxide in this way. And the other is uh, Lake Monan, as I mentioned, uh, also in Cameroon. And then Lake Kivu, which is in the Democratic Republic of Congo and Rwanda. In the case of Lake Nios, some features that this kind of lake must include for the environment to be created, for it to be uh, something that will explode, Mm -hmm. uh, is CO2-saturated incoming water, a cool lake bottom indicating an absence of direct volcanic interaction with lake waters, and upper and lower thermal layer with differing CO2 saturations and proximity to areas with volcanic activity. So it's a pretty, it's got to be a pretty perfect storm in order for it to just... The lake water is normally blue, right? But after what's called outgassing, it turns a deep red uh, because of the iron-rich water from the deep rising to the surface and being oxidized by the air. So that must have been creepy. Yeah. That's like a a pharaoh curse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess it is like Mm -hmm. a pharaoh curse. Yep. You know, probably... Uh, the people who lived around the lake were somehow involved in some sort of tomb raid. Oh, I'm sure. They all... You know, six degrees of separation. Yeah. Probably they disturbed Kevin Bacon's tomb. Probably. Uh, okay. So the lake level actually dropped by a meter, and the trees near the lake were knocked down by the force wow. of this event. That's it's incredible. nuts. For roughly uh, 16 miles, the gas cloud was concentrated enough to suffocate many people in their sleep, and about 4,000 inhabitants fled the area. Many of these developed respiratory problems, lesions, and paralysis due to the gas cloud. Again, uh, we're going to go to the uh, account by Joseph Nequain. I managed to go over to my neighbor's houses. They were all dead. I decided to leave because most of my family was in another town. I got my motorcycle. A friend whose father had died left it for me. As I rode through the city, I didn't see any sign of any living thing. Wow. That must have been like a zombie apocalypse moment. Yeah. 
Yeah, it would have been terrifying. Uh, as soon as he got to help, he was unable to walk or talk. His body was completely weak. Um, people in the surrounding area said that even flies were all dead. Wow. That like wow. just the ground was covered with dead things. Jeez. And then you've got this red lake, which all of a sudden is red mm-hmm. and terrifying. Yeah. So obviously, it's horrifying. I can't imagine the the aftermath of that kind of event and being a survivor in a town and trying to make sense of it yeah while you're riding a motorcycle yeah and you know everyone that you know is dead now god it's fucking horrible so obviously people are like we well we've got to do something about this because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's terrifying and the levels of CO2 in these lakes, it's its consistent. So they know that probably this kind of event will happen again. So several researchers proposed the installation of what are called degassing columns uh, from rafts in the middle of the lake. So the principle is that the CO2 will be slowly vented out by lifting heavily saturated water from the bottom of the lake through a pipe using a pump. It will kind of start to self-sustain. You know how like when you're emptying out a fish tank and you have a tube? Uh, Siphoning your, it. Yeah, yeah you it's do that. like perpetual That's, motion almost. Yes. Yeah. So once it starts, it's kind of taking care of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that seems to be effective. So in January 2001, a single pipe was installed by the French Cameroonian team on Lake Nyos. And two more pipes were installed in 2011 with funding support from the United Nations Development Program. And then a pipe was installed at Lake Monown in 2003 and then two more were added there in 2006. So they've seen that this should be effective for keeping this from happening again in these two lakes. Now, there was that third lake where they have found that there is an incredible amount of uh, CO2 buildup or saturation, they call it, Mm -hmm. as well. So there have been efforts to get this uh, proactively set up on this this larger lake, which also has that incredible saturation. All right. So how often do they think these types of um, occurrences will reoccur. I mean, if this is the first time in recorded history that that happened, and I'm guessing it is because there was no history recording of it, it may take thousands of years for that to build up. Sure. Uh, It's hard to know, again, because it's not like you have the same kind of after effect, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's not like magma has run down the streets of these towns. It's not like there's been the visible uh, damage from an earthquake. It's not like a flood has come through. And so it's hard to say how often it has happened. There must be some way they could do core samples, though. Oh, I'm sure. There must be some way to to determine. I I don't have that information. But uh, often enough where, uh, you know, 1,800 people are dead. Yeah. It's better to be safe than sorry. Absolutely. When it comes to exploding lakes? poison lakes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wonder how that affects local real estate prices. I bet you can get a house real cheap there. Well, because everyone and everyone that they love is dead. Yeah. Why probably. do you have to bring that I'm up? I'm just saying that was kind of insensitive. Well, now I feel like a dick. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. I have never heard this story before and that's a pretty big event it's a huge event wow especially considering that it's not something that 
we see a lot. Mm. It's it's not like, oh, hey, there was another earthquake. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's this is one terrifying, weird and murdered people. A lot of them. I just can't imagine. I keep going back to what was going through that guy's head. Yeah. You know, first of all, he finds his daughter dead, which is shocking enough. But then he goes out and everyone's dead and everything is dead and the lake's red. You know, yeah. how do you how do you process that? You can't. You start thinking, well, this is so outside the norm for me. It must be either paranormal. You're thinking like biblical scale kind or of stuff. Biblical scale. Yeah. yeah. These are these are plagues being brought down, if not by pharaohs, by an angry god. I did uh some research like trip advisoring <laughs> on Cameroon <laughs> uh-huh. and it really is, it's a beautiful place. Um, some really unfortunate policies uh, surrounding human rights. But, mm. you know, uh, okay, the dogs are getting really restless. It's we. Why are we recording at 5 p.m. anyway? I don't know. It's dinner time, Mom. <laughs> um, anyway, so I thought that was insane. And Ashley, thank you so much for bringing to my attention. And it's terrible and terrifying and uh, interesting and amazing. And I, uh, I can't say I enjoyed researching it, but there was a lot of interesting stuff. Thanks a lot for hanging out with us. You guys, once again, it's time to go feed the dogs. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those I report to, to beseech you for assistance. The box of oddities is free. We ask but one thing of you. To provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True. That is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.